Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, based in Los Angeles, California. The Kavli Foundation is dedicated to advancing science, for the benefit of humanity. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. That's how he introduced me. Ladies and gentlemen, the Divine Miss M. And it stuck, and I thought it was great. And you know what I really thought it was great? More than 50 years later, I realized that it had something to do, that word divine, meant more than I actually realized. I thought it was, oh, you know, I'm divine. Uh, You know, I'm ready for my close-up, that kind of wackiness. But as the years have gone by, I've realized it was the opening of a door, something having to do with with God, something having to do with spirituality. I've had so many shows. I've I've had divine madness. I've had divine intervention. But the thing is, the thing that's so great about it is that it's um, the link It's a a spiritual link. That's the multi-talented Bette Midler. She's been entertaining us for decades now in just about every form of entertainment there is. But one of the first things I wanted to ask her about probably doesn't sound related to any of them. You really can do anything. You sing, you dance, you you can act in Mm. dramatic pieces, comic pieces. But you know one of my favorite things that I ever saw you do. This, this is going to make you laugh. You got an award from Variety of the mm-hmm. Women in Power Award a couple of years ago. Your acceptance speech was a model of communication and leadership. It was, you started off with how, mm-hmm. some prepared gags, but then you took flight and you put the you put your notes down and you started talking about your favorite project mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the restoration of new york and it was like once more into the breach dear friends i mean everybody was carried along by your passion and your power and it was genuine how do you do that i think you have to have passion and power in order to uh communicate passion and power i i started that organization in 1995 and i was very because I, I simply refused to, to live the way most people live in the city. I, I, the city's very, very hard. New York's very hard. Uh, <clears throat> there's not a lot of green. Things are very, uh, the, it's made of stone and brick and metal and mortar and asphalt. And it's, it's, it's hard. And the people are, can, can be, become hard because of all the hard surfaces. And when you're in nature, you soften up a little bit. And I was born and brought up in uh, Hawaii where I was, I didn't realize it at the time. I thought the whole world was 
the, that way. It, it was so beautiful. It was like being in paradise. This is before, well, it was a territory. It wasn't a state yet. And um, the minute it became a state, the very next day, the cranes came in and uh, buildings started going up and forests started being raised and uh, development started going in. And it was such a shock to the system. And I didn't really realize it until I was uh, much older what had happened. You know, people just took it for granted. Everyone was so excited. We're in the United States. And then we sort of looked back and realized, well, it had its drawbacks. You know, there were unintended consequences. So mm. I do feel very passionate about uh, the planet, and I do feel very passionate about uh, <clears throat> green spaces, and I do feel very passionate about gardens and being in parks, because I think that the nature has a really real softening effect on people. So for me to talk to my 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 prospective donors at Variety is uh, someone who, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's great. Why did your family move from New Jersey to Hawaii? Well, the family lore is that uh, my dad left to get away from his mother. His mother was a, a terror. And he was the oldest boy, and he was the enforcer, because his father was the sweetest man that ever lived. And everybody loved the father. But father never raised his voice, loved all his kids, you know, that kind of thing. So the mother made my father the enforcer, and he didn't like that job. He didn't, he didn't like to tell them, you know, to chase them down if they were smoking a cigarette or, and, you know, beat them black and blue. Although he, he did it to me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were you doing that was bad? I think I was smoking a cigarette in the, in the, in the um, bathroom, and my older sister ratted me out. I said, Daddy, Mommy, been smoking in the bathroom and they came up there like oh my god once i said damn and he just had the, he just had a meltdown and uh, you know he, i work blue so it's yeah, I, i'm just going to say that he lived to see you as the divine miss <laughs> no he never came to see me because he knew i was i my i had a potty mouth an expression i never yeah. heard until maybe 15 years ago yeah no, he never came to see me because I think he was afraid of that. He was proud of me, and he did love me. He, he, we made our peace at the end. But So he was the enforcer, and he went into the Army when he was very young. And his mother went to the base and got him back. She said, my son's too young for this. He's, he's coming back. So he went home, and he escaped a couple of years later. And this time, he got away. And he got to Hawaii, where he was in munitions or something on one of the most beautiful parts of the island. And then he went, it was, this was in the 30s. And in 1937, he went back, married my mom, and they came back to Hawaii on the steamships, as they did. And um, they stayed through the war. They were in Pearl Harbor during Pearl Harbor. So they had... Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. I mean, I, I just, I, those memories are so, you know, I find as I get older that I, I remember more about my childhood than I remember about... Yeah, I, I do too. Yeah, that... <laughs> Weird. You know, one of the things I wondered, did you learn the Hawaiian language when you lived there? Everyone spoke two languages. Everyone spoke what was called standard English, and then they spoke something called pidgin. And the pidgin was a kind of an amalgam of English, Hawaiian, a few Chinese, some Japanese. It was a, a kind mm. of a sing-songy kind of a language, but it was a very colorful language, and I mastered that. But uh, they didn't teach Hawaii, Hawaiian. They, they threw it out of the schools. When the missionaries came, they hmm. didn't want anyone naked, and they didn't want anyone to speak their language. So they stopped. Te they wouldn't allow them to speak it. 
So you interested me when you talked about the missionaries didn't want the Hawaiian people to go naked. With that in your background, was that part of the inspiration for the divine well, yeah. Miss M? Yes, I have to say it was. I always, uh, for the first few years of my life, of my performing life, I always had a, I always put a Hawaiian number in. Uh, yeah. Or a number referring to the sea or a number referring to fish and poi or the hukilau or some such nonsense. I have to say I got a big kick out of it. I actually learned hula dancing. When I was a kid, my mom uh, sent us to hula. And uh, that's the one thing she did. She she could afford it, and so she sent us all, the three girls. We I, I had a, a brother as well. He didn't go. But my three, my two sisters and I all went to uh, hula school until we graduated hula school, and it was a trial because we were the only Howleys there. You know, Howley is a white person. We were the, so I have experienced reverse discrimination. I have re- experienced uh, uh, discrimination where the the majority is uh, brown, brown, Asian. It was Asian and Hawaiians, and they didn't like white people. They just uh-huh. didn't like them. They called them Howleys. They called them fucking Howleys. They called them, you know, they called them every name in the in the book. Uh, Howley crab. That was a good one. And so I was always put in the back row. And which I didn't mind because I could never remember the steps. It didn't matter. <laughs> I couldn't remember. And it's it's so funny because I love dancing and I love choreography, but forget the steps. I mean, I have to improvise, otherwise forget it. So anyway, um that was the one thing that I actually could do. And and uh I always do and people always say, Oh, your hands, your hands, but that actually comes from from the the from uh, hula training. Yeah, I have always heard that it tells a story. Mm-hmm. Are there gestures that are sort of uh, substitutes for actual words? Yeah, what, yes, it, yes. There's you know you have the, the the typical. There's the heart. There's the heart. There's love. There's I want I I sing to you my song. The trees. You know the island. The water. I mean it's very, you know. <laughs> It's very simple, but it's very beautiful. In the hands of <clears throat> masters, it's uh, uh, thrilling, thrilling. We used to go to what's called the Merry Monarch Festival, which is a big hula festival on the big island, the island of Hawaii. And all the halals, all the hula schools would go, would come at that one festival and they would compete. They all had to do the hula and sing to the same song. So you heard the same mm. song all night and you saw different interpretations of the same song. Well... Last time we went, which was quite a while ago, there had been a little dust up because the many people who were involved in the hula world said, you must not sing this song. This song is a sacred song. You're not supposed to sing this song in, in public. This song is meant for, is a ritual song. You're not supposed to, to perform it. So we were sitting there and they, a few uh, groups performed and they were given a rousing ovation. And then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. There was a gigantic crack of thunder and boom, it was like a hurricane hit in the middle of all this dancing and singing. And the lights went out. The lights went out. We were in a stadium, a small stadium, and the, the arena went pitch black. And they came out and said, we told you. <laughs> we told you. And that's something that, that my, bring, my upbringing in Hawaii gave me too, which was the sense that there's a spirit in everything. Everything has a spirit. And I never really recovered from that. That really is my, my religion. That sounds like it's very much connected to your 
concern about parks in the middle of a city. Well, I'm concerned about it's concern about the planet. You know, it's concern about yeah. uh, about uh, because all living things uh, create uh, contain a spirit. When you when you realize that, or when you absorb that into your life, you the, you don't want to kill things. You don't. You want things to thrive. You want things to to continue to grow and to live. So. Um, I I it's I feel it feel it very strongly, you know. I mean these days it's so hard to it's so hard to stay calm, I find. Uh, and that is one thing that really does give me great great peace. It, to be in, in to be in 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 nature watching the the critters. Gosh, there's so many of them and they're all so productive and you know, you could sit and watch a group of bunch of bees for days and hours and chipmunks just it's just fabulous life is <laughs> life is so great life is so great where did the divine miss m come from did you create that character yourself I did. did you and did. did you write for it did you write the show i did i did but i had to, i had help i had wonderful help i had two uh, I was in Fiddler on the Roof for about three years, <clears throat> and the hairdresser on Fiddler on the Roof was a guy named Bill Hennessy, and his name, his nom de hair, <laughs> <laughs> was Mr. G, Mr. Gerard. He worked as a hairdresser under the name Mr. Gerard. His real name was Bill. So he used to call, used to call me Miss, I used to call him Mr. Gerard, and he called me Miss M, Mr. G, Miss M. And... I was in that, that show for three years, and I could not get arrested. I could not get another job. I would go to all the auditions. I auditioned for hair for if a hundred times. I auditioned for uh, Jesus Christ Superstar a hundred times. I auditioned for, oh, my God, I was always auditioning, and I never got anywhere. And one day, uh, uh, this old friend of mine from Hagenberghoff Studios, do you remember them? I think they're still there, HB. Yes. Down yeah, on Bank that. Street, I think. Yeah. There was a, 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 a singing teacher down there who remembered me from his class. And he said, he had seen me at one of these nightclubs because I had put together a little act and I was trying to get out of the show and I was trying to put together an act. He had seen me. And this one, this gentleman who owned a, uh, a, the, a, the Continental Baths wanted to uh, take a step forward into the entertainment world. And so he decided he would make his gay bathhouse an entertainment hub. And he called his friend who was teaching singers down at Hagenberghoff, I'm sure that's what it's called, um, asked if he knew any entertainers. And he said, well, I do happen to know this one girl who I saw recently. And he gave me the number, or rather he gave uh, Stephen Ostro the number. And he called me. And when I heard what he was paying, I just, I was like, oh yeah, I'll be there. He was paying $300 for two nights. I was in Fiddler on the Roof and they were paying me $200 for eight shows. And when I asked for a raise, they refused. for a raise, but they refused to give me. And you were in the show for three years. <laughs> I was in the show for three years and when I asked for a raise, they, they, they said no. They said no. $25, a $25 raise. So, so, so uh, what did they have a stage at the bed? They had a small stage. It was about, I would say it was like six, six, 
seven by seven, a small stage with a little place for a band, a, a, a drummer's drum, drum kit rather, a little uh, uh, upright piano, and there, that's all there was, just a piano and drums and a microphone stand. And then they, he arranged uh, folding chairs uh, around the, the stage. And uh-huh. in the middle of the floor, for, for God's sake, nobody knows why, there was a, a pillar, like a, like a round, a round construction, a round room, and it was a barbershop. We had people giving each other haircuts in this room, and he gave me that room for my, um, for my dressing room. I'll never forget it, because I would sit there and I would, I had no, I had no idea what I was doing there, but I would just put my makeup on and sweep hair up off the floor. And my, so he came in and said, Stephen Oster, the owner, came in and said, "What? It's your first night. What do you want me to? How do you want to be? How do you want to be introduced?" And I said, "Oh, tell them, tell them I'm divine." And he knew that I was, that he knew that I was called Miss M because he heard Bill and me talking back and forth. So um, that's how he introduced me, ladies and gentlemen, the divine Miss M, and it stuck. And I thought it was great. And you know what? I really thought it was great. I've thought it 50 years, more than 50 years later, more than 50 years later, I realized that it had something to do, that word divine meant more than I actually realized. I thought it was, oh, you know, darling, I'm divine. You know, all those being very highfalutin, very 30s, yeah. 30s um, musicals and, you know, the, the prima donna in some Dick Powell, Ruby Keeler musical. I'm divine, I, you know. I'm ready for my close-up, that kind of wackiness. But as the years have gone by, I've realized that it really was an in to a, it was the opening of, it was meant to be, because it was the opening of a door, not to uh, something something ridiculous or silly, but really something divine, something having to do with, with God, something having to do with spirituality. And I didn't realize it when I, you know, as the years have gone by, I've said, oh, my God, because I've had so many shows. I've, been, I've had divine madness. I've had divine intervention. I've had up <laughs> your divine. I mean, I've had, <laughs> but the thing is, the thing that's so great about it is that it's, um, it's a link, it's a, a spiritual link to me. And you know, uh, you know, this is amazing to me because I think. Everybody affectionately regards the character of the divine Miss M as naughty. And you're bringing an aspect to it now that's an expression of spirituality, mm-hmm. the, the oneness of nature. Mm-hmm. How, you and know, naughtiness talk, is part of that, too. Yeah, right. That, that, it, that it's, it's, when you talked about the fecundity of the insects, that's what you're talking about. You're celebrating... Yes. The part of life that keeps life going. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's exactly right. Did you write an autobiography? I can't remember. I ha- no. I've written send ups and I've written children's books. I wrote two children's books and I wrote a send up uh, of a tour that I took, a world tour that I had t- taken. It was a kind of a an, you know innocence abroad, except. Not just innocence, just just plain stupids abroad, and it's very <laughs> funny, and it's a little bit risque, and it had we had pictures in it, and it was a fun tour. It was the first time I had ever been, uh, I had ever taken a band and a, a bunch of girls around the world, and uh, 
this was my introduction to the world. I was, uh, I had just done the movie The Rose and the manager at the time. You were brilliant in that movie. Thank you. That was such a, such a performance. Just Thank wonderful. You. Thank you. So you were known around the world from that. I, yes, my manager was very tactical. He was a very strategic guy. And he decided before the movie came out that I should go around the world and introduce myself to the world. So that's mm. basically what we did. And I, so we, we were in, we went to Sweden and Scandinavia, all over Scandinavia, Germany, uh, where I sang Hitler had only one big ball and went really well. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> Hitler had only one big ball. Goering had two, but they were small. Himmler had something similar, had something similar. And poor old Goebbels had no balls at all. Uh, it went down very well. Um, so, <laughs> standing oh in Helsinki. When we come back from our break, Bette Midler tells me how she first fell in love with acting. Despite being fired at the age of 14 after her first performance on the stage. And why she's a huge fan of Paul McCartney and the Beatles. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. The Foundation's mission is to stimulate scientific research in astrophysics, theoretical physics, nanoscience, and neuroscience, to strengthen the relationship between science and society, and to honor scientific discoveries with the Kavli Prize. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Bette Midler. How did you know you wanted to be a performer? I, I, I read someplace that you, were, you idolized the Andrews sisters. Well, I, I idolized, I loved harmony. I loved, I loved singers. I loved pop, I loved pop music. I loved the music of the day. I loved, I, I came up with rock and roll. Uh, it was, um, I kind of, I, it took me a minute to understand it, but eventually I did and I really embraced it. I, I, I thought the rebelliousness of it was a lot, was, for me, it was like, I just watched like, wow, look at that, those people. Cause I was very, you know, I wasn't conservative, but I was withdrawn. So mm. I discovered that when I performed, I was not withdrawn. I was outgoing. Yeah, and same for me. Same for me and many actors I know. Yeah. We, we get outgoing and extroverted when there's an audience. Yes. When the phone rings in the house, I drop my head and wait for Arlene <laughs> to answer the phone. <laughs> I get anxious on the phone. There might be somebody at the other end. <laughs> I know. And then you'll have to interact. Yeah, that's right. Oh, <laughs> Answer wow. questions and things. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So so did 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 your family sing? 
Unfortunately, my family was not musical, but um, there must have been music in the in the in back in the background somewhere because I have such a I love it. I can't sit still. When the music starts, I, I'm dancing. I just I, it, mm-hmm. it hits me right where I live. So I've always I always loved it. And um, when I was five, I think I sang Silent Night in a, in my in the first grade and. They all I got applause, and I didn't, you know, I didn't understand it, but it was so wonderful. It was so, you know, rewarding. I used to sing in the shower, and people used to gather outside my house. Outside the shower. <laughs> outside the house. Outside my house. Outside my my sad little house to sing to to listen to me sing. And, That's uh, great. It is. It was great. And then when I got to high school, there was a teacher there, Betty Blake. She was so glamorous. She taught drama. And then there was Mrs. Ishimoto, and she taught speech. And these two ladies took me under their wing, and they decided I was it. They, I was there. I, I'm not going to say their ticket out. I'm not their ticket out, but they, I was going to give them bragging rights. And <clears throat> I got started getting little parts, and I started doing readings. And because the, uh, everyone spoke pidgin and hardly anyone spoke standard English, they would have these contests to see who could speak the best standard English. And it was, they were called speech contests and you would do drama duets, you would do poetry readings, you would do storytelling. And I entered in the storytelling contest a couple of years and I finally won the, won the state, I was the state champion. And I got a big, I got, I got a big trophy and everyone was very proud and I was very proud. And then, they, and then my class did the first school play we, we our, My class, the class that I was in, did the first school play, and I was in it. And it was, our hearts were young and gay. <laughs> Which is hilarious. So did, did, you, did you know you could act at that point? Well, I was the reader. So I would do, whenever they wanted someone to illustrate to the other children what this is supposed to sound like, they would call on me. And I would read with expression. Uh, Remember that that that, that yes, expression. Yes, yes. Read with expression, and uh, eventually I realized that reading with expression was really acting, and yeah. I made the segue because I loved it. I, I I saw I saw these. I my the librarian sent me to the theater. I was very lucky. I had a lot of women in my life, older women in there in my life who who sort of looked after me. And this librarian that I worked for a couple of summers, she gave me a ticket me and a friend, a ticket to, um, <clears throat> to see Carousel. You had to get on three buses and a train, and I'm not lying, in order to get to that theater, which was on, way on the other side of the island. So we did, and when I sat down and the curtain went up, I, I, had, a, I, I had an experience that I had never had before. I saw some, it was so beautiful. It was such a beautiful world. All the girls were pink and gorgeous, wearing, you know, beautiful little costumes with fringes on them. And the men were so handsome and the lights were so glorious. And I just, I fell for it. Hi, diddly <laughs> dee, an actor's life for me. <laughs> I couldn't wait. <laughs> so I got in the show. When I was 14, I got in the show. I got into showboat and uh, I was fired. I had a, I had a, you were fired. I was fired, like fired after the first night. That was a lesson. I learned a lot of lessons in Hawaii. I did. I learned a lot of lessons. While Bette Midler and I were chatting before we began recording the podcast, she mentioned that she had listened to the episode we did with Paul McCartney. And it turns out she's a big fan. 
I listened to the Paul McCartney podcast, and he was saying, somebody once asked me uh, if I ever warmed up. I think it was Bette Midler. <laughs> was it? It was, yeah, it was. No because, kidding. you know, he can, yeah, he can do anything. He can do anything. He's one of, he's a, a great, great singer. Just great. He can, he has tremendous control. He has beautiful tone. He has, um, just, I'm just talking te- technically, and he, he can scream, he can growl, he can, he can do anything. He can do all the tricks. It's great. He's, I'm, I'm a big fan. Did you see his show? Did you see the documentary on Paul and John? And no, I didn't. Ringo? Oh my God, it's fantastic. On the Beatles? The documentary Peter Jackson made? Yeah, I heard how wonderful it was, and I haven't had a chance to well, see it. Well, it's wonderful, and it makes you, it just makes you reassess everything and relive everything, too. Because the, the thing about them is you couldn't believe that they were only 28 when they broke mm. up. That they only, their their career together was something like 10 years. And in that 10 years, they just completely changed the face of popular music and so many other things. It was a, a heady time. It was a wonderful time. It, it broke my heart. I still, I still, if I put a Beatles record on, I still break out and I still cry. I still cry. Their songs affect me. Mm-hmm. The really moving, moving words and moving music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even the stuff that doesn't tell a story, the nonsense songs are moving. You know, yeah. They, yeah. There's something jo- so joyous about them. It's like these guys didn't have a mean bone in their body. There's something so, they created, created so much happiness with just with the sounds that they put together, them and George Martin. And I really miss that because I don't feel that popular music these days is very joyous. I feel like it's really bleak and grim. And I mean, there's a wildness to it, but there's also a viciousness to it. And the, the just exuberance and whimsicality and silliness and fun, those, those lighthearted themes are just, they just seem to have, I mean, I know it's a rough world. I know it's very bad, but it wasn't great when the Beatles came in either. I mean, it wasn't great, it was 20 years, 20 years, not even 20 years. It was 15 years after the Second World War. People, they were still rationing. So that it wasn't such a bleak world, such a great world then either. But they managed to... Okay, that's enough of that. That insight into the Beatles is really interesting to me. And, 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 I, and I would love to talk more about it. Our time is running out. But we always end every show with seven quick questions. Okay. And they're, they're in a very general way about communication. Oh, did we talk about communication? <laughs> yeah, we did, all, all through the whole thing. <laughs> oh, okay. I keep it subtle, the references. Oh, okay. What do you wish you really understood? A spreadsheet. Oh, that's it. Nobody ever said that. That's interesting. <laughs> Here's the next one. How do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? How do you tell someone you have your facts wrong? I don't actually know. I don't actually know. I just say, oh, you're full of shit, which is not. (laughs) Oh, you're full of shit. You don't know. You don't know your ass from your elbow. That's that's absolutely incorrect. And I can show you half a dozen places where people people have said, you know, this is not the way it, it goes. That's a very good question. How do you say it? I try not to say it. I try to, Interesting. I try to follow the advice. I've asked this of about 180 people on the show so far. And the ones that ring a bell with me are the ones who say, 
how did you arrive at that conclusion? Where did where did you uh, get that information? And yeah. tell me more about it. Find out what they think, what yeah. what they really, what they value, and what how it led to that conclusion. That's brilliant. That's great. That that makes a lot of sense. How did you come to that conclusion? Here's the third. That's a question. window into a soul. That's great. Yeah, it is. It really is. What's the strangest question anyone's ever asked you? Do these shingles hurt? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Good. I won't go into that further. Here's the next one. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Well, I have a card that says stop talking. You really do? I really do. It, I usually no kidding. My, I usually use it for myself. <laughs> I usually keep one in my bag, and I lean down and I look at I, it's where it says "stop talking," and I stop talking. Okay, let's say you're sitting at a dinner table next to someone you don't know. Mm-hmm. How do you start up a genuine conversation? Well, I don't think you say, "And what do you do?" That's not, I don't think that's the way to go. I say, how do you do? You introduce yourself, you introduce yourself. Uh, Sometimes I say, how, um, are you reading anything? Have you read anything interesting lately? Or I'll say, um, um, what are you doing in town? Or how's your family? Or I don't know, anything. I I usually start with books because I'm most, I'm from, I'm, I'm most familiar with that world. What, 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 What are you reading? Where'd you go to school? How are your folks? Your folks still with you? You know, just personal questions. If I, if it's an actor you're sitting there or a performer, they often like to be talked, they often like you to talk about their work. You know, I saw you. It was great. You know, <laughs> you were fabulous in that. They often like that. That's a real icebreaker. And then you can go on, you know, if it's an, if, 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 if you're, you know, if your dinner part, dinner partner is a, is in the business, it's, 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 it's so easy. But if your dinner partner is a, you know, a financier, I often say, talk about the state of the city, for instance, if it's, if we're in New York, you know, did you see, did you see that new building? I often say, did you see that new building down on Park Avenue? I hate that building. Then the guy will say, oh, I built that. (laughs) You say, oops. (laughs) (laughs) That's happened to me so many times. I can't even say. Once I told Steve Roth, that building, that horrible building on 57th Street is going to shadow the entire park. And he had a, he didn't have a meltdown. He was actually very polite. He should have slugged me. But it's, and he said, and every time I see him, he says, you know, my building does not shadow the park. He never forgot that. Okay, next to last question. What gives you confidence? Um, I have no confidence in many areas and tremendous confidence in others. Uh, my, my, I have a lot of confidence that I can, that I can, that I can communicate that I can tell a story because I've been doing that my whole life. And there are many, many stories that I know are interesting to people that they want to hear. And also on the stage, all my, all my shows are about storytelling. <clears throat> and so I have a lot of confidence in that. Do I, where does, where is my confidence in life? I don't, I don't much have much confidence in life. I can hardly do anything. I literally can hardly do anything. I can, I cannot, I've never, I have been uh, sort of not, I don't want to use the word coddled, but I have been looked after 
since I was 28 years old, and the world has really changed in, since, since I was 28, big time. That was the 19th century. Imagine. Anyway, I have really, the world has completely changed technical, technolo- technology, how to use a, that thing with the square, the telephones are different, you can take a photograph everywhere you go. I mean, and I can't do a lot of it. I can't do much of it. Uh, I've never traveled across country. I can't, I'm, a, I'm one of the worst drivers in the whole world. I'm ashamed <laughs> of my driving. I'm ashamed. I'm afraid to, I'm afraid when I'm on the road. I'm afraid for them. I've, I never go on the freeway. I never go on the freeway because I white knuckle. I, I start, I, I'm terrified to, 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 to get on the freeway because I, I don't know who they are and, I, and I'm easily distracted. So I don't go on the freeways and I really, and I don't drive in New York. I only drive in Los Angeles, where I have my little track. So I have no confidence in those things. I have no confidence to cook a, a seven-course meal. I have no confidence that I, I mean, I'm game, but I don't really believe I can do it. <clears throat> and um, lots of things. But I feel like it's kind of, it kind of balances itself out because I've made my way. I've had a fantastic life, met wonderful people, been honored, been, you know, met the queen. I mean, I'm, I, it's been fantastic. So I, must, I have a tremendous amount of confidence about that part of my life. It's the rest of the life, you know, that I'm a little... I mean, I don't even want to play charades. I'm, like, panic-stricken <laughs> when I have to play charades. So it's... Um, I, you do I, okay without, without that other kind of confidence. I, well, you see, that's what I feel. I think that the, the, I have so much confidence in my performing ability, that the fact that I don't have any confidence in the rest of it, it kind of balances it balances my life out. I don't spend too much time worrying about what I can't do, except when I have to open a Dropbox. And then I want to kill myself. <laughs> okay. Speaking of your life, last question. What book changed your life? <sighs> what book changed my life? Um, well, I have to say there are, there are a number of books that changed my life. I, I read The Last of the Just when I was, um, 12. I don't know that book. Tell me about it. The Last of the Just, it's Andre Schwartzbart, a French Jew, and, uh, it's based on the idea of, uh, it's that old, uh, Jewish uh, that the old Hebrew um, folk myth that there are seven, I think, just men in the world, and they're basically holding up the sky, holding up the world. And when they, when one, when they, if there are no just men, there will be no, no, there will be no justice in the world. It was written after the Second War, and it was about, it was about the Holocaust, and it was uh, very, um, very moving. Very moving. I think about I think of of all the books I've ever read, I have the strongest reaction to it. You know, and you always remember those books. This has been so great. Thank you for not just taking the time, but lending yourself to this. I really appreciate it, Ben. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. 
My thanks to the Kavli Foundation for sponsoring this episode. The Kavli Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. Bette Midler's 50-year career has been full of wonderful performances on stage, in the movies, and in song. And for that, she's been showered with awards, including Golden Globes, Grammys, Emmys, and Tonys. Just last December, she received the Kennedy Center Honor for a Lifetime Achievement in the Performing Arts. The nonprofit she founded with the goal of revitalizing neglected neighborhood parks in economically disadvantaged neighborhoods of New York City is called the New York Restoration Project. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Shedd, with help from our associate producer, Jean Chimay. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. Our researcher is Elizabeth O'Haney, and the sound engineer is Erica Huang. The music is courtesy of the Stefan Koenig Trio. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with neuroscientist and author David Linden about his fascinating book on what makes each of us unique. It's a book with a charming origin. The story is that I was thinking about this book uh, as a result of internet dating, the process by uh, which I uh, met the woman who is now my wife. And uh, what uh, I realized was that when you go online and you are, you know, listing the things you like and trying to describe yourself and listing uh, the qualities of the person uh, that you hope to meet, that you are essentially making a list of traits. And these traits are all the things that comprise human individuality. And it, you know, gets a science nerd like me to thinking, well, which of these are heritable? Which of these come from the way you were raised? Which of them come about through other mechanisms? David Linden and why it kind of pisses him off when people talk about nature versus nurture. Next time on Clear and Vivid. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.
Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.